Nordoff Robbins is a music therapy charity. We believe in the value of music for all people in society. We want to live in a world where through music, human potential is recognised regardless of disability, illness or social exclusion. We hope that by listening and hearing about the value of music through the eyes of these artists in this podcast, you will begin to understand how music and music therapy can benefit the lives of those who are faced with significant challenges. Find out more about music therapy and Nordoff Robbins at nordoff-robbins.org.uk. Music always is a kind of therapy for, for those of us that write and create our own music. This new album is a document of dealing with my failings. Hello and welcome to Three Track Therapy. I'm Chris Hawkins. I'm a radio presenter and I love how amazing music makes us feel. And I'm Louise Gregg, a music therapist at Nordoff Robbins Music Therapy. I help people with their physical and emotional well-being through the shared experience of playing music together. In each episode of this series, Lou and I are joined by a different musician who will share the three tracks that have had the biggest influence on their lives could be a song that they've written themselves or a track by another artist whatever their selection three track therapy is all about allowing artists and songwriters to open up about key pieces of music that have helped them to process and then share how they feel i mean i'm biased because music's the thing that sort of saved me and gave me a purpose in life so i'll always be biased that music's one of the best mediums for connecting us our guest on this episode of three track therapy is damon goff badly drawn boy and full disclosure I'm a huge fan of Damon's. Damon created Badly Drawn Boy back in 1997 and has gone on to release eight studio albums, including his debut, The Hour of Bewilderbeast, which won him the Mercury Prize in the year 2000, and the soundtrack to the hit film About a Boy. Today we'll be talking to Damon about two of his own tracks, as well as a track by another artist who holds a a special place in Damon's heart. Damon, welcome to Three Track Therapy. Thank you for having me. Damon, when did you first start songwriting and why? Oh, wow, what a question. Um, I was I was in my early 20s and I, I, I was trying to be a sound engineer in my late teens. I worked in recording studios, a place called Square One Studios in Bury, which was quite famous, quite a big place. Uh, I worked there. I became really good at making tea more than anything. I was, I was the best tea boy in the business. I kind of failed at becoming a sound engineer just through logistics of, of getting enough time uh, to learn the skills when you're in a commercial studio like that. So I quickly got a little bit disheartened by that. Uh, but uh, in the process, trying to be a sound engineer, I, I picked up instruments like regularly in the studio and dabbled and learned a few guitar chords. And there was a grand piano that I learned to play on as well. And so it was a, a kind of an accidental process where, where I started to and, and because I was trying to be an engineer, I started to record my own chord progressions on a... I bought myself a, a, a four-track and spent just most of my 20s just, just dabbling on this four-track, mainly, again, from the perspective of trying to be... to understand how sound works. And so it's always from a more technical aspect that I was inter- interested in music, just how it worked and why it worked and where the sound came from, even, into your headphones when you plugged in a a socket into your into your CD player or well as a kid when you put a needle on vinyl how did that how did it work I was more fascinated by that and by accident through trying to record my own ideas I I gradually became a songwriter I think I remember initially I learned 
Walk Away Renee, Billy Bragg's B-side of Levi Stubbs' Tears. Johnny Marr played a version of Walk Away Renee. I, I, I taught myself to play that, which took me about a year um, on an acoustic guitar. And I learned Oscillate Wildly by The Smiths, amongst others, and Springsteen's Born to Run album, painstakingly on the piano, working out notes. So I was about 18 at this point, teaching myself to play and just becoming fascinated and the satisfaction of learning these songs that I'd heard and I could play stuff off Springsteen's Born to Run, like Jungle Land and, and Thunder Road. And, and I, it was just fascinating to hear the notes coming back out of my hands on the piano. So that was, but the, the accidental process, it's a long answer to your question, I'm so sorry, but the, the accidental process of me trying to record sound, I remember distinctly one day I, I recorded a chord progression and played it back and realised it wasn't another song. It wasn't a song by anybody else. It was something I'd written, like a four a four chord progression with a little bit of a change. And I, so then I, I reached for the guitar and opened up track two and did a did a melody line over the chord progression and realised it was kind of the beginnings of a song. So then I, I became hooked on that. Wow, I can, I can potentially write songs. I didn't I didn't know. Nobody had told me I could. Nobody had suggested it. And to this day, that's the thing I love the most is being the originator of, of my own ideas is is such a powerful thing to have in your in your human spirit, really. I, I, that's what I still cling to to this day, the, the thought of writing my next song. Sorry, that was a, such a long answer. It was a great answer. And I, I assume that with the sense of achievement, that there was something life-changing about what you were doing. Yeah, I mean, the ability to record. I mean, if you go back to like the days of Beethoven and... Mozart, the great composers of, of those bygone eras, they didn't have the facility to... That's why they did notation and uh, they had orchestras to perform. It, growing up in the era I've grown up in, I'm lucky enough to have, you know, a, a facility to record because that, and that's, that's what's allowed me to be a musician is that I could play these ideas and get inspired by what I heard back rather than having it in your head and having to write down all the notes. I mean, that's another skill, a massive skill in itself altogether. So... The day I first recorded on a four track, like it was a eureka moment. It was like, wow, this is this this is life changing. This is like I remember the day after I recorded that first song on on my four track that felt like an original idea. I remember going to bed that night and I, I couldn't sleep. And the next, I couldn't wait to get out of bed the next morning. I mean, that, that in itself is a re- revelation. It, it, I, I couldn't wait to get going again and and what I could do next. I mean, as the years go by, that kind of that type of feeling about it changes enormously. Obviously, you can't sustain that 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 initial. But sometimes, when I remind myself, the same as when I remind myself about my first EP in 1997 and getting that in my hands, the seven-inch single, I go back to those moments and think it still makes me feel. It fills my spirit up again. That that little moments like that that are connected to the music. With all of that in mind, and and particularly uh, self-teaching. Um, to, to win the Mercury Prize with a, your debut album, uh, you, how did that feel? That whenever I see footage of me accepting the prize, I can only feel embarrassed, but I have to forgive myself, my the younger me. I mean, it's 20 years ago, so uh, it feels like a lifetime ago anyway. And even though I was 30 when that first album was released, roughly in 2000, so I was a late comer to the game of, of being a pop star or, and releasing music. So... But I was still young at heart and, and naive and, and green. And, and so I could have been an 18-year-old really stood there at that acceptance. I was, a, I was 30, 
but because I was so new to doing music, I still felt like a kid and I was still finding my feet on how to deal with public life, uh, fame. I think since then there's been grooming schools, people, how to cope with interviews. I'm, you know, I'm still of the generation that's off the street. You say what you think. You don't really follow rules and press officer telling you what to say here. And you, when you, your own man, rock and roll is about the spirit of being you, the freedom of being you. That's, that's what I got into music for, to, to, for the chance of freedom, even if it's just the illusion of freedom. So, so when I said on stage and I threw the check away, I was just trying to be funny. I was trying to be a bit Liam Gallagher because he was like the dude at the time, you know, in the nineties. Uh, and I was from, being from the Manchester area, Bolton born, but Manchester living. And I was trying to live up to that foolishly thinking that that's who I had to be trying to be cool and charming, getting it all wrong, got away with it, hopefully to a point, but it was mind blowing is, is the simple short answer to that, that my first album should be accoladed with arguably the, the prize in music that's most respected or, or the most real because it's, it, it looks at a, a broad selection of talent across, across music. And you know, it's 20 years ago and I've, I've only been nominated once, only won it once. So it still, it still means a lot to me now because it will always be there. You know, I've, I've got the prize here next to me in the room. Needs a polish, but... <laughs> and uh, 20 years later, uh, Banana Skin Shoes is is the latest album, uh, which I gather had the working title uh, A Pocket Guide to a Midlife Crisis. So what frame of mind were you in when you wrote the and recorded the album, Damon? It's like every album you make, there's always a an agenda or, or there's something... That, the agenda with this Banana Skin Shoes that came out this year in May, it was, it was that I'd been away from releasing music for a while. Me and Claire, my ex-partner, the mother of my older children, Edie and Oscar, Claire, me and Claire broke up. She kind of threw me out of the house. It was it was accumulation of years of my drinking and not coping with fame and stuff and other things. Bless Claire, she she took the decision to, to end it, which was devastating for both of us. I mean, it's come back full circle now. We're, we're on good terms for the kids' sake. It's all worked out fine, but... At the time, the, the years that followed that breakup, 2012 to 2015, it, it was this new album, Bananas Can Choose, is, is a kind of a, a document of, of, of these last several years of me not being in the public, not deal, dealing with the breakup, dealing with my failings. It's my fifth year anniversary yesterday of giving up drinking alcohol, so I've not drank for five years now, but that took me... That, so that was 2016. So from the breakup to, in 2012 to 20, I had three or four more years of, of drinking too much, trying to make a record but failing, doing demos here and there. I had no focus. I was devastated. I, then I met Leanne, who's now my wife. And so we know that a lot happened in the last several years. Uh, like I said, giving up the booze was something I probably needed to do sooner, but it, it was one of the reasons for the breakup. So all of that's gone into Bananas Can Choose, really. The, the title... Now that I'm in a better place when I was recording these songs, I'm trying to kind of spin a funny positive on the fact that I, these are these were big failings um, for one reason or another. My lack lack of ability to cope with fame and and using drink as a crutch, it, it affected my personal life. So I was trying to articulate all that. And I just want to wish you happiness is a song on the album, which is, is, is an ode to Claire, which saying exactly that, I just wanted to be happy. Um, in a future life 
But Anna, the title track's just a joke of me, like, I, I slipped up here, I, I failed, but I'm I'm able to laugh at it and move on because I have to, for the sake of my my own self-esteem and, and, and those that care about me. It's all worked out. And then bring the album out and, and there's a pandemic. So, so that, <laughs> that, that, you know, it could have gone better, but I'm not the only one with a sob story surrounding this year. Was it, a, 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 it sounds like a, a form of therapy for you, this album? Music always is a kind of therapy for for, for those that for those of us that that write and create our own music but this i suppose this album more than any other yeah it would be by its nature it was is one of those that i just had to get it out of my system this this album and it's been a strange experience for me cuz not just because of the lockdown it's felt like it just got released and then it's disappeared and and i'm all, i'm already in a brand new phase now where i'm i'm, I'm wanting to make more new music and i'm trying to do that and well, yeah, it, it was definitely more than most, more than some of my other albums. A, a therapeutic process is kind of me, me admit, admitting your failures in 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 a song, even if it's kind of some people might not see. You can take the songs as you want; they're just pop songs. Bananas can choose the title track is a hip hop kind of mishmash, but it's, it, it is about me. It's about supersizing your soul is a theme on this album about I've, I've been in therapy and stuff in recent years trying to better my, my mental health and and find out more about myself all, all the cliches and so I tried to put some of that in this record as well like always about looking forward in life and not, and not dwelling too much on on things that have gone wrong because they you know you can't you can't really change much about those things that have happened Okay, Damon, you've picked three tracks to dissect and discuss with the music therapist Louise Gregg and myself. So t- two of your own, plus uh, one by one of your favourite artists. What's first? I'm going to pick a song of mine called A Minor Incident. I'd be a better person on the other side, I'm sure. You'd find a way to help yourself and find another door. To shrug off minor incidents Make us both feel proud I just wish I could be there to see you through Doing the soundtrack to About a Boy was By the nature of it, I was writing songs which I would never have penned This one in particular I wrote Silent Science, something to talk about before I'd seen the film Just just based on the the feel of the novel um, But with A Minor Incident, it was one of the most rewarding songs for me to have written because they showed me the scene. It was a scene where Marcus, uh, the, the young boy in, in, in About a Boy, Marcus said he's reading a suicide note left by his, his mother. Even though she's not thankfully died, it's still a moment for him to digest. This is what she was is intending to do. In the note, she says, remember that I'll always love you. Uh, so I refused to read the book again to remind myself of Nick Hornby's version of the letter. I thought that the challenge as a songwriter was to was to write what I thought a mother would say in that note. So... So that's what the song became. When when they showed me the film, they had a Bob Dylan song as temporary score to, to give me an idea of the kind of flavour they were looking for in the scene. They, they do that all the time using temp music. And I called it a minor incident to be funny about because it it's a major incident. But the song's the songs in A minor as well. It's in the key of A minor, so that's why it's a minor incident. It's a joke on it being a, a big deal <laughs> and a minor incident. Very clever stuff. <laughs> I mean, the, the the other thing about this song is it it was never a single. A lot of my best songs were never singles. I have to say that, but blowing my own trumpet. A lot a lot of the content on, within my albums, songs that people have took to their hearts, beyond the singles that people hear on the radio. It's not I'm not exclusive as an artist for that to be the case. But it 
more so with me. There's, there's a lot of songs on my albums that become favourites when I play them live at concerts. And this song in particular, there's so much feedback over the years of people that, that have said it, it, it connected so much to them. There's something really beautiful about storytelling through music where um, no matter what the original story was about, a listener can mm. hear it and take it as part of their own their own story yeah. and their own expression of it. And I, I don't know any other form of storytelling that quite does it in the same way. The fact that you've got to be concise within a, the framework of a few minutes, it, and if you use lyrics in a, a clever enough way, they can mean all things to all people or anything to different people. It's I don't know whether it's the fact that there's, there's music involved as well that connects and makes something more pliable and more bendable and more open to interpretation. But then again, reading a book is so fascinating because your own mind paints these pictures around what the author wrote. So it happens with, with the written word too, without music. Um, I mean, I'm biased because music's the thing that, sort of saved me and gave me a purpose in life. So I'll always be biased that music's one of the best mediums for connecting us. Damon, how easy would you say it comes to you making music? Or not? Oh, God. Um, well, going back to the beginning of our chat, and as an 18-year-old, I, I picked music for freedom. I wanted Route 1 to a free life, uh, which, of course, you never quite get because there's always logistics come into play. You know, being in the music business alone isn't isn't that free nothing truly is but the moment where I write my next song I am free I'm free as a bird nobody there's nobody there telling me what to do how to do it uh, when to do it I just pick the moment and I can it's happening time again in the last few months I, I, I've I forced myself to go and sit to the piano and, I, and within five minutes I've got a new song idea and that thrill will never be improved or beaten or replaced that there's, there's no thrill greater for me in life than than just knowing I've got a new idea to nurture uh, the problem is I get too many new ideas and, and they're all unfinished but I still get a joy out of, of that so I find it again almost all my answers to anything today I, there's there's a there's an upside and a downside and there's I find music incredibly difficult and incredibly simple at the same time to come up with melodies, I just I just seem to they're like breathing to me. Melodies I, I I come up with musical ideas so much more quicker than I do lyrics. For for example, it's the lyrics that slow me down. That's basically it. If I could get a little bit quicker at that, knowing what to say in the lyrics is is quite tough. Musical ideas come from a different area of your brain, I, I suppose, and and they flow. I just have to sit at the piano or pick the guitar up, and and I've got a, an immediate connection to my next melody it's interesting because i think that um that freedom that you talk about and even that um that that belief in music to to give you what you need feels really Mm. present in the songs that you write so like even for instance this like a minor incident if you asked someone to imagine a song that accompanied that snippet of story i imagine that people would immediately think of something that's like a slower tempo or like it does centre around A minor but you, you've got like there's a lot of C major in there as well and I guess I think people would traditionally think of something that was more obviously sad but the 
the feel of this, I think especially with the the movement in your guitar part as well, it it does have a, a lightness and a, a hopefulness about it despite um despite the sadness of the moment that kind of the music in it kind of says like that this is happening but life will keep moving and it'll be okay. Yeah. Do you think that's sort of just what runs in you in terms of like that's what music offers you so when you make music that's that's what comes out? Yeah, p- potentially. What a, what a very good an- analysis there. It's, it's like, I think this is why I find music so difficult though. It's, it's because to capture the spirit in the recording is, is you're relying on everything to be happening, everything to be aligned. Like when you do a take, I mean, the, the, te- the version of Minor Incident on the About a Boy soundtrack, if you get hold of the CD or the vinyl, it's that take was a, was a, a one take. I probably, I probably, it might have been take 10 in the studio, take seven or eight or something like that, um, of me just wanting to play the song without any overdubs, without any drop-ins. Uh, so it, it felt like it needed to be, to be honest, it needed to be a take. And so that was definitely one of those songs where I endeavoured to get that right. And that, that in itself, the pressure when you sat in the studio, right, there you go, Damien, it's rolling. And you hear those words, you like to, to switch off and focus and be free enough to play a song without making any mistakes. It's just human nature won't allow you to do it. All those things just don't happen at once. Yeah, absolutely. What's the second track that you've chosen to, to talk about, Dim? And the next song I've chosen of mine is a song called Is There Nothing We Could Do? Ooh, I'm sorry. Ooh, I am sorry. This page in your story won't turn. To ask you why you feel the way you do If you feel the way you do Is there something we could do? By coincidence, the two songs I've picked are both from soundtracks. Um, a, a minor incident from About a Boy, as we've just talked about. And then Is There Nothing We Could Do is the title song from The Fattest Man in Britain, which was a... A TV, made-for-TV documentary drama, mockumentary, I suppose, drama, Jeff Pope and Carolina Hearn co-wrote and starring Timothy Spall. And this song, playing that song to Carolina Hearn as well, bless Car- and Caroline's no longer with us. So it was like the last three or four years since Caroline passed away, I bit play this I play this song on stage and it it's a favourite song of mine anyway, for some reason. I remember with Jeff, I went with Jeff Pope to Caroline's house in Timperley, Altrincham, somewhere in five or six miles from where I live, and sat and played Caroline the song I've just played a snippet of, and she she just loved it and didn't necessarily fit the narrative of of the Fattest Man in Britain. I, I kind of had half written the song before they asked me to get involved, and it was a song I was writing about my brother-in-law at the time, who was seemingly going through a, a very bad time with depression and stuff. And I think I was too, but I hadn't recognised mine. I didn't know what depression was at that point. This is, I'm going back 10 or 12 years here. The song was written from his perspective, really, in my head. I was I was trying to be encouraged. Is there nothing we could do? Um, who am I to ask you? It was just, I was just trying to reach out and offer some help with the song. And then I'd half written it. I kind of, the song was driving me insane because I it, it was, it was the melody of it was going around my head day and night I loved it that much that, so much I began to loathe it I couldn't this is what happens as a songwriter you get these 
earworms in your head of a new song of, you, of yours and you're trying to keep it alive and you're trying to keep it and, and try to let it not annoy you at the same time. So this song did that to me. I really began to hate it. And then when it was repurposed by Caroline Ahern and Jeff Pope asking me to do, I thought, oh, I've got this half-written song. I'll see if I can make that adapted. I changed some of the lyrics to make it a little bit more appropriate for the storyline in The Fattest Man. And the, the times when I've collaborated with other people, I've, I feel like I've got the most reward perhaps from my results as a songwriter because I'm writing for a third-party purpose. And the two songs I've picked of mine are both both about serious subjects, depression, a suicide note. I mean, as extreme as it gets, but when you asked me to pick some songs, I, I, I was drawn to these two for, for multiple reasons. But more than anything, though, I would say, is there nothing we could do? If you play the version that's on the album, it's one of my favourite recordings I've ever made as a song. It's everything went right, everything. We just did everything right. Uh, the strings, the string arrangement by Matt, Matt Dunkley, who I've worked with several times. Matt, Matt's arrangement is is stunning. It's one of those songs I'm so proud of. I don't think that many people know about it. It's not one of my hits. Again, it's it's not one of my big tunes that people would say it was in my top five or ten. To me, as the writer of it, it's, it's, it's in my top three, without a doubt. Yeah, that makes total sense to me, because I think that, like, it. I'm glad you've mentioned the arrangement and production of it, because there's there's something really tender but not overly dramatized about it so that it, it's present in your lyrical content anyway mm. but I think the the arrangement with the kind of like that string line it just like one note just like falls onto the next one and mm-hmm. the the like undercurrent of your uh, acoustic playing and the like how subtle the piano is it it all carries this uh this care and and a tenderness that doesn't um but that's not patronising. It's not too. It's not too fluffy, um, and it it just carries the the um, the message, I guess, of the song really, really beautifully. Well, that's a lovely again a lovely analysis you've made there. It's because that when you're dealing with a delicate subject matter, and I, th- I think a lot of people that perhaps don't give me enough time of day as a songwriter. There are some out there, believe it or not, that don't think I'm the best songwriter ever. <laughs> Joking. It's like I get written off quite easily as as a writer of, you know, stuff that's nostalgic and twee and it's really something I don't I don't believe is true because you've just explained it beautifully there in that in that the the balance the delicate balance is like there's a care and attention in there that's meaningful. It's real. It's not I'm trying to capture real kitchen sink drama in a song like this and there's a grittiness to it as well and it's that's kind of somebody said that what a journalist I spoke to about my latest album said something similar that it was like uh, romantic realism. He described some of the songs on my latest album that, which like a you know like a Ken Loach film or a some there is a northern grittiness to something. But I, I don't really want to be pigeonholed by any of those things. But I certainly don't want to be considered as twee because I care. What's the third track you've got for us today? So the third choice of song, the song that's not by me but by someone else is. It could be no other song really for me than Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen. Do you remember hearing this for the first time, Dan? Yes, I do. Very distinctly, yeah. Um, It was Christmas 1984, so I was... I'd just turned 15 in October that year 
So, I think it was Christmas 1984, yeah? Whistle test special on Bruce Springsteen. David Hepworth was interviewing Bruce. So there's only four channels in those days. I think Channel 4 had just launched. I just, I just kept seeing this guy being interviewed, like this guy with a headband on. It was Springsteen, but I had no idea who he was. And I wasn't particularly drawn to watching it. I didn't particularly like the vibe. I, I kept watching a couple of seconds of it and then just flicking back to whatever else was on Wogan or... I did this for minute for five ten minutes, and then flipped back again, and the the intro to Thunder Road was playing, and that stopped me in my tracks. Literally, I I thought, what the hell's this? And I, we just bought my mum that my mum and dad had just bought us our first video recorder, so I got a, a, a blank tape, put it in, didn't really know how to use it yet, but threw it into the cassette into the recorder, pressed record, and then left it recording the, the rest of the documentary that was left of, of of this whistle test special. And when it had finished, I rewound the tape. This was the first time I'd ever done this as well. I re- rewound the tape to the beginning. Uh, and the, the, the footage was all wobbly because it was the beginning of a blank cassette. So it was all a bit mangled. It's the live version from No Nukes in 1979 at Madison Square Garden, where Bruce was the headline act of No Nukes, it was called. And so it's quite famous footage now. But then... To me, I'd never see it as a 15-year-old. I'd never seen anything like it. It was, I rewound the tape, watched it again. I watched it, I probably watched it about a hundred times. I, I just became obsessed with Thunder Road. So I found out which album Thunder Road was off. It was it was the opening track of Born to Run. I went to a record shop the next day and bought Born to Run. I became this huge fanatical Springsteen fan while the rest of the world was hating Bruce Springsteen. Well, my peers anyway, you know, my peer group at school, everybody hating Springsteen because of... Born in the USA being this song that was like Marmite for Bruce, really. It made him so huge, but I I didn't care. I stuck to my guns. For me, it was such a personal discovery, putting that video cassette in, flicking between the channels, and something about that harmonica intro and the harmonica and piano and the footage as well, the way Springsteen looked on stage with a suit on, looking like James Dean in 1979. It was like the most powerful thing and if, if there's one piece of music that ever takes me back to to me, who I was before any of this happened to me, before I became famous, before... It's weird to say it, but it reminds me who I am. That, that we, we all lose... As time goes on, we, we, we lose bits of ourselves. And, and sometimes when you claw them back, the, the good bits, it's good to shed off some, some of your bad traits and some of the things that don't make you whole or whatever, but some of the good bits we all lose in our life. When, that's what a great piece of music can do. It, it can help you refine all that bit of spirit that you, you you didn't think you had in you anymore. When I when I listen to Thunder Road, it it totally brings back a whole... I can feel the chemicals in my body changing. I can feel it going into my head and going, this is that song that did that to you in that moment. It does that to me every time I hear it. That's... It's so good. I feel like we... Like, you can... This is amazing. You can just talk and any question that I would want to ask you about this you're just answering without me having to ask any of the questions um because oh, I I'm genuinely I was I was gonna ask you because the the track the track itself is um the the message is kind of that that's something that feels like it might be a big jump is in the instance of the song the distance between like the porch and the car door that actually the the life that we that we hope for or that we would want isn't isn't so far away and um one of the things i was going to ask you about was whether you whether you think music can actually prompt that much 
change and can offer that motivation. So it kind of sounds like your answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I still can't explain why that song connected like it did when I, I, I rushed to get the videotape in. For, for that for that song to speak to me as a, as a kid in Bolton growing up with, not, you know, not, nothing in, in common in particular. But the, the, I think like you just said the message in the song, the, the optimism... There's a, there's a connection in the optimism of Springsteen talking about just the the blind optimism of of, of Springsteen as a, a guy in his mid twenties wanting something better out of his own life, wanting wanting this dream, wanting to be like the movie stars, but knowing that he's not. He's so he's he's basically that's what music and all the art forms do is is elevate us to somewhere that we're not otherwise. You know, life is tough, life is boring, life is mundane, but the arts elevate us to somewhere different. They give us a glimpse of something different. That's why the arts are so important because without them, we don't get, you, you know, going to the cinema, it can lift your spirit. When you see another person's story, you see you see it from another angle. You're able to observe it and, and be taken away by it for a minute from your own problems, your own issues. The well-being that we're all talking about this year is is, is all about, it's not escapism as such. It, it, it's it, You escape for a minute, you, you quickly back to reality, but you've got a new tool Something that gives you hope. Well, I could do that. I could, I could make something different. I could, I could write a piece of music that changes someone else's life. I, I mean, so all those things encapsulated in a, a three-minute song, especially Thunder Road, is exactly you know this. It's a town full of losers, and we're pulling out of here to win as a closing line. That in you don't get a better line than that in any song ever written because it's it. That's what rock and roll is all about. We're we're, we're going somewhere that's better than this. You know, Springsteen's living it in that one song. And I suppose it, people have always struggled to draw the comparison between me and Bruce. And I get that because I'm not, why, should, why I shouldn't sound like Springsteen. People say, why do you like Springsteen? You don't sound like him. No, I don't because I'm not him. The correlation you can draw is that what I've always tried to do with my music is to give hope. Um, even when a song sounds sad, like we said before with the minor incident, it's, there's still, I think perhaps... I'm tempted to say that moment I saw Springsteen in that video, the Thunder Road, there was a wizard in the room that, that with a wand, like a Harry Potter moment, that, that something went into my bloodstream that made me want to recreate that second I saw Springsteen. And that's what I'm trying to do every time I write my own songs is when someone hears it, there's a magic that makes them feel different, that makes them think something's possible. And it's happened because the story, of, I've told this story seldom, but the the most extreme example of somebody telling me my music helped them was this guy that came up to me in a bar in Louisville in, in America, Louisville, Kentucky. And I just finished the gig. It went, it went okay. I think uh, there's a few people hanging around and there's a, this cool guy, probably about 18, 19, 20 year old, cool indie looking kid waiting his time patiently. Uh, all these other people come in asking me to sign stuff and have a drink and, he was waiting really patiently for half an hour and I saw him, I caught his eye. I liked the look of him and I, he was the last person in the bar. I went over to him and said, oh, thanks for being so patient. And he said, no worries. He said, "He said I was, I was about to kill myself with a gun to my head a few weeks ago and your song came on the radio and it made me think. So I took the gun away from my head and put it back in the drawer and walked down the street and met my friends in the bar. I just gave him a hug and said, the song he was talking about was the song off my first album, the opening track, The Shining, the intro. Something about that music in that second touched him. And that 
when I draw from that story, I think, well, God, if I'm ever doubting what I'm doing is could help somebody somewhere, I remember that story. I mean, I don't take credit for it. You, this thing, the thing about music is you can't really take credit for the story it takes in someone else's life. You know, the, 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 that's the other power of music is that other people adopt it and shape it to, to suit them, and uh, which is what this this guy did. I mean, I, I'd love to know how he is. Uh, how, I, I've not I've not endeavoured to get in touch with him, but that that story was so extreme, an extreme example of. There's other nicer stories in terms of not being potentially tragic stories like that one. Um, people walking down the, getting married to certain songs that you've done, and all those kinds of things that have happened. And so that's what music does for people. And if you're lucky enough to create the music that does that for people, then I I have to say that's the bit I do enjoy is the potential for it to do that. For sure. And if there's ever if there's ever the moments that um, cause you to remember that it's worth it, it it must it must be those moments. It's been a pleasure talking about some of that because I I forget and it re, that in itself re, reignites my passion to do what I'm doing and I'm I'm lucky to have that. Some I mean. When I started out, I just had the notion that I could do this was my inspiration, and and I, and I still, I, I need to, I need to do more songs, I think, to to keep to keep me in this this kind of work, uh, and and respect the fact that people need music as as much as we do, because uh, I forget too sometimes. But I'm 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 often in the eye of the storm, and I, I it's easy to forget how important music has been for me and how much it is to others. So this has been a real a real joy. Thank you so much, Damon. You're amazing. Damon Goff, thank you. Oh. Thanks, Damon. It's a pleasure. There is so much that we could say about that that kind of makes me feel like I don't even know what to say. It was it was so good. And like at how we've gone from uh, the start of a conversation where essentially Damon casually dropped that he's he's never really been taught it didn't it sounded like he just sat down at an instrument one day and decided I want to learn to play these songs like and that that sort of lifelong commitment and passion for music and his his belief in music that just like carried through and ran through the whole interview it was amazing yeah so self-taught and um and the success as well you know it's when you start to to analyze uh, what and hear his stories what, what he's done Wow. Yep. And a, a few times it kind of felt like he just said, it's all been a bit of an accident. I just love music and I love writing. It was never, I never planned for it to turn out that way. Yeah, it's, uh, he's got a, just a real gift. Mm, yeah. I guess if ever yep. there was an example of someone where it does seem to, although obviously he's had difficulties along the way, it does seem to come very naturally. He said, didn't he, that he could write a song a day? Yeah, yeah. And I think, it's interesting hearing him talk about writing for films because I think some people would feel uh, restricted and restrained by a brief in that way. But I think he actually said like the that having that and writing for other people has led to him writing some of the songs that he he's the most proud of. Yeah, and I I also found very interesting. And he was talking about a minor incident that actually, rather than go with the the actual script. He knew about the scene and roughly what was going to happen, but he did his own version of events. And it yeah. didn't necessarily actually what he wrote fit with the the narrative of the story. Yeah, it, for me, that kind of like threads through um, a lot of things that Damon said, because he talked about 
uh, like wanting to write how it felt. And he talked a lot about just like even in recording, like wanting things to feel a certain way. And that sort of visceral experience that we have in music where we listen to something that makes us feel that way. And for some reason, some recordings do that and some don't. That felt really present in him. And I think it, even for that to come out in his writing as well is remarkable um, to, to be able to distinguish how a, how a letter or a book feels and then to write music around it. It's beautiful. Mm, incredible. I was a, a fan anyway, but um, I'm a super fan now. Super fan indeed. That's all for this episode of Three Track Therapy. You've been listening to me, Chris Hawkins, and music therapist Louise Gregg. For more information about music therapy, visit nordoff-robbins.org.uk. Nordoff Robbins Music Therapy is the UK's largest independent music therapy charity dedicated to bringing music therapy to those affected by mental health, life-limiting illness, isolation or disability.